You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Good to have you. I'm sorry if I didn't say hi to you. We had a little bit of a dilemma. We still have a dilemma. Robert's back there trying to work on our computer. That's why, uh, as you saw on the slides for the singing, we're, we're, we're sponsored by Pro Presenter every song. Uh, so unfortunately, that is just not working. We might go back to the overhead projector. Did you, get, you, you remember the overhead projector? Right? And you, you do the little flip of the page, and it's like, guys, it's backwards. Or, you know, like you have the hair or the fly walking across there. Anyways, this is what most of us grew up with in school. Uh, good times. Now there's all kinds of fun stuff at school. But anyways, side note, we're here before the Word of God. We want to open up the Word of God and learn from it and glean from it today. So would you stand and rise with me if you're able? And we want to read the words of the Lord this morning as we enter into this amazing season. We are in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 6 this morning as we continue to work through this amazing letter to the Hebrew church. And uh, let me read this as we, as we open up. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God. Remembered even without the prompting on the screen. So good. Well, let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for uh, allowing us to even hear your word, read your word, study your word, memorize your word, and meditate on meditate on it daily. And I, I pray that we will do so. That uh, these things will be um, our fruit, our 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 health, our nourishment throughout the day. Um, set aside the food for the real food, the real fruit, and that is your word of God. And I just pray, Jesus, as we study this text, that we will see who you are in a deeper way. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, you can grab a seat. Well, so far, just to catch you up really quickly, if you're new here, uh, again, I uh, would love to say hi to you afterwards, but I'm not dealing with a computer. Uh, so great to have you here with us uh, to the Shore Church. But as you, we are jumping into the book of Hebrews, and we've, we're now starting chapter 5 already, which is amazing how fast we're going through, but yet how slow we're going through at the same time. But just to catch you up, if, you, if you're new here, is that this is all about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Like this whole letter is about Jesus' supremacy. And right over the gate, the author always, most authors in the scripture actually front load the letter. And they front load the letter with the main themes of the letter. And this letter is no different. 
We have seen Jesus' supremacy over the cosmos. We have seen Jesus' supremacy over the angelic. We have seen Jesus' supremacy over the prophetic, that he was the prophesied king to come. And now, as we started last week, we are seeing Jesus' supremacy over the Levitical priesthood. And as we've read that text, you may have heard that loud and clear, that we're talking about the priesthood, even going back to Aaron, the very first priest. And this challenge by the author to this little Hebrew church is hold on to your confession of Jesus, the Supreme One. Right last week we learned, hold on to the confession of your, of your faith and your confession of Jesus because He is the great high priest. He is the one that has passed through the heavens for you and I. And He is exactly, He is the Son of God, the exact imprint of Him. And you can draw near to Him. You can actually draw near to the Holy of Holies. This ought to slow us down completely when we hear that language. Draw near to the throne. And this throne is filled with grace and mercy and, and help in time of need. This is what we need. This is what we have learned last week. And now continuing from last week, the author switches to the earthly priest and then back again to Jesus proclaiming his supremacy as the high priest. And when you were talking about God and man, you, you really ought not to talk much about man. But this author is talking about man here, the, the high priest, the, the manly high priest. And when you start comparing this high priest to Jesus, the man always falls short. And that's the, the reason for this. That's the reason for this, to talk about the lesser so that the greater, the greater in Jesus might be more greater, more emphasized uh, beyond even our understanding. So as we read this letter, we will see the exhortation from the author in its most elementary terms, like I said. And this is the main point of this whole book is don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. See, the outline for this morning is that is moving us from who this high priest it was and is to how he came to be. But our passage first starts with the earthly high priest. And so the first two points of, of the sermon today are duties of the priest, verses 1 through 4. You can see it in the text there before you. As well as Christ. And the second point is Christ as priest, verses 5 and 6. So the author is giving more background here for us about the high priest, the, the earthly high priest. And you can see that in verse 1 through 4. So look again at your Bibles. Nothing will be on the screens today, which is a good thing. We can open up our Bibles and actually look in there. So you can also pull up an app, Bible app, and take a look, at, just so you know what I'm speaking on here. In verses 1 through 4, it says this. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Now there are a handful of things in this text there's a handful already that we've learned in just these first four verses. Like, what is it to be chosen and appointed? 
What is that? What is it to, to, to act on behalf of man? To give gifts and sacrifices for sins. See, our text also mentions the character qualities of the high priest. That this is the role reserved for men. And this man is to deal gently with two types of people, the ignorant and the wayward. He is also to be self-aware of his own depravity. He is to recognize his sinfulness and weakness as well as recognize his mortality. And with all of the above, especially being chosen and appointed, which is, that is such a humbling thing, to be chosen and appointed by a holy God. He is to have the awareness that this is an honorable task and not to be taken lightly. This position is also not to be one that is self-appointed, but a position that is clearly one called by God. So we're going to run through all of those things that I just mentioned. They're all in verses 1 through 4. So let's run through these together. Chosen and appointed. Chosen and appointed. There was a bloodline chosen from the people of God. Many of you know this from reading your Bibles. To be representative, to be the voice. And that voice was from the tribe of Levi. Notably, the first priest walking, on, walking in this tribe was uh, Moses' brother Aaron. And we must notice that this emphasizes... And this is kind of the thing that when you read the scripture, things and character traits of God are constantly being revealed to us. And when you hear chosen and appointed, it reveals God's character in a way that we can't miss it. And I want to really emphasize this in this idea that the man priest is chosen and appointed. This is the sovereign hand of God. It's God's sovereignty with a massive uh, projector on this thing. It is the sovereign hand of God choosing man to be the mediator between him and other men. See, every priest was known by God from the beginning of time, was called, placed, and appointed to fulfill the task before him. And this is not only the high priest, not one person, not one person that walks on this planet is not is 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 outside of God's will, is outside of God's sovereign choosing. And that's a that's a, a massive thing to recognize who God is in this in this realm that we live in. Every person that walks on this earth has given the proper father and mother. He or she has been given the proper body to live in. We all have been chosen by God and appointed by God where we live, where we work, where we play, but also to the color of our eyes and our hair. Everything is by God's plan. Acts 17, if you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, I've got my Bible flipped there already because I knew I was going, going here. But Acts chapter 17 is one that I go to often when it comes to the sovereign hand of God. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, it says this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now, we're seeing the cosmic supremacy here. 
Remember, Jesus is the owner of all things and the creator of all things. And again, Acts 17, verse 24, again, emphasizes this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath. Everything. He has given every one of us life and breath. We did not choose to live. God chose it. And he made from one man, which is Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined, now here's the sovereign hand of God, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Like all of creation, in Romans chapter 1, all of creation are, is just exploding with God's invisible attributes. He is not far from us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. He's not this carved image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. There is a God in heaven that has given you life. You did not give God life. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, that man is Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Friends, we have no excuse. Everybody is chosen by the hand of God. We also see this in Psalm 139, if you want to flip there. It's kind of right in the middle of your Bibles, almost anyways, close to. But in one, Psalm 139 is another great text of Scripture to go to when it talks about the sovereign hand of God and His choosing to give life and breath into the lives of those that walk on this planet. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, it says this, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance in your book. This is blows my mind every time I read this. In your book were written every one of my days. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God is sovereign. And we see this in Romans chapter 9. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1. And actually all throughout the scripture, you'll start seeing this as you start looking into it. There's a really great book, this is not in my notes here, but really great book. My wife would probably get angry at me if I didn't share this book. But Jerry Bridges is an amazing pastor, teacher, writer. He wrote this book called Trusting God. 
trusting God. Take a look at it. It's not very thick. It's about this thick. And it's a great, great book. And it talks about his sovereignty. He meant to write this book in a certain way, but because he started studying the scripture, he couldn't help but talk about the sovereign hand of God. And so it's all throughout the scripture. God's sovereign plan is about choosing and appointing those for his work. So the high priest was chosen for the appointed service between God and man. Now look now at what they were to do. So we have chosen and appointed. Second point we have is act on behalf of men. And we're going back to our text here in Hebrews 5. So this means mediation, to act on behalf of another. It means to mediate, to intercede for, to lay one's life down for the sake of another. Now the call on Aaron and his sons is found most notably through the book of Leviticus, going back all the way to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But in Leviticus 28, even the garments Aaron was to wear pointed symbolically that he was to bear the weight on his heart and head for the people of God. Aaron and his sons and those men following in the priestly line were to act on behalf of men in relation to God Almighty. Now there's examples of this. And in 2 Chronicles 19.11, we see Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters of the Lord. So Amariah, the high priest, was over the matters of the Lord. He was to lead the people. In Exodus 28, 29 through 30, explain the priestly garments, we see Aaron, the first priest, Moses, his brother, given this responsibility. So all of Exodus 28 is this, the garments that the priest was to wear, and, and he spent so much time writing these things out specifically. And it says this in Exodus 28. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in this breastpiece of judgment on his heart. So there's this breastpiece that that the, pre, the high priest would wear and walk into the Holy of Holies and have every name, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, on his breast in the sense of on his heart. When he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breast piece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, which are engraved dice-like carved uh, stones used to determine truth and falsity. So he has these on his breast, underneath that breastplate, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. The chosen high priest, this is a special man going in before you and I to intercede before the Lord. See, one example of this is found in Numbers 27, 21. And, and he shall stand before Eleazar, the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. See, the high priest was to lead and was also to be a picture by the garments they wore, by the food they ate, but their entire lives is a symbol of holiness to the people of God. They were, in a, in a sense, a refuge of sorts. Like people would go to them as a refuge to seek out the Lord, to confess their sin, to share the burden of sin before the, before the Almighty 
father seeking forgiveness and he was to seek forgiveness for the people by the blood of the lamb and they were to give of themselves fully to the service of the Lord for the people so it's a high high calling chosen by the Lord through the, through the tribe of Levi so you have their chosen and appointed. You have them acting on behalf of men. And now they're to gift gifts and sacrifices for the sins of the people. The third point. The Levitical priests were to spread the blood of the sacrifice for the guilt of people. Blood was a, a thing. We're going to actually see it a little bit more in Hebrews as we get into this kind of thing. Now we're going to be talking about this actually for the next few chapters. But the, the blood was a sacrifice, uh, a, a washing of sorts for the sin. And these were payments and these gifts and sacrifices were to help the people see that their individual personal sin caused the life of another. And this flows into the New Testament, right? We have the cross of Christ on the stage every single Sunday. We share communion every single Sunday, which represents the shedding of blood for the sin of the people. And it actually flows all the way through into the New Testament as well, as we see in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of your sin is death. It requires blood shedding. The shedding of blood for one's sin. And the gifts and sacrifices acted as a covering for the sin of the people, but was an insufficient one. And by reading through the scriptures, you begin to see that many realize this. This insufficient lamb or insufficient goat or bull or bird was not sufficient enough to cover your sin. See, King David said this in Psalm 51, 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. He's talking to the Lord here. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Or God himself says in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11, says what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. See, the high priest was responsible to act on behalf of men before the Lord and offer gifts and sacrifices for the people. But they were aware that they were insufficient symbols. They were merely shadows of surrender before a holy God. So we don't have time to fully unpack this, but let me close this loop really quickly. What God is looking for is a contrite heart, a humble heart. He's not looking for a goat or a lamb to be slain. He is looking for your heart to be transferred into holiness before him, to recognize that you are called to die to yourself for the sake of the Lord. Recognizing that your sin is a broken relationship between God Almighty. And the only sacrifice that will suffice is Jesus. There is no other. He is the only way to salvation. See, a heart that symbolizes that it has sinned before the Holy God and will be held to account and we've already seen this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. We'll all walk before the Lord one day and be held account. And if you don't have Jesus, you will be held account to your works. If you do have Jesus, He is your account. 
He is your sacrifice. So it's either Jesus' sacrifice for your sin or you get to be sacrificed for your sin. I don't know about you, but I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. And we see this over and over, this contrite heart, this, this, this broken, merciful idea all the way back to Jesus' first sermon in Matthew chapter 5. Let me just read it for you real quick. Such a good reminder. It's not the goat. It's not the lamb. Listen to what Jesus says. He taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemaker. Over and over again, it's this contrite heart, this humble heart before a holy God, recognizing your sin. So we have the gifts and sacrifices. And then the next point, we have the character qualities of the high priest. So this high priest is to act on behalf of men. He has chosen and appointed. He is to give gifts and sacrifices, but he also is to be a character man. A character guy. Look back at verses 2 and 3 of Hebrews chapter 5. Again, it says this. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. Now, the high priest was the, has the ability to deal gently with two types of people here. The two types of people are on the far ends of the spectrum. We have the ignorant and the wayward. And the first, the ignorant, the person who has no idea of their sin. And this high priest is to be gentle and sympathetic and walking alongside and helping that individual see their depravity before the Holy God. And then the wayward... This is the individual that is being led by possibly a different doctrine. They may have known the truth, but have now twisted it for their own good. They might have known things and then now walking away from it. And we're going to see this actually in chapter 6. But again, the, the sympathetic and gentle high priest is to walk with them, gentle with them, exhort them into that they might fall deeply in love with Jesus all over again and, and surrender and repent towards Him. Him as their high priest, their sufficient sacrifice, the chosen lamb. See, and there, there are people scattered between these two spectrums, both ends and everything in between. And this high priest ought to be gentle with these. This is the character quality of this high priest. See, exhortation and gentleness is required for both, but with great wisdom and discernment as well. And one thing I've noticed in coming alongside those that are ignorant and wayward, the only way toward change and repentance towards God is when God is the one that changes and transforms their heart. That's the only way. And I want you to think about yourself for a moment. Think about the things that maybe this week you were challenged in. Maybe this week that you drew towards and you know those things you were drawing towards were outside of what God wants for you. Outside of what God maybe has called you towards. That, that's waywardness. Or maybe you realize now that, that maybe I was ignorant to maybe some sin in my life. 
See, I've talked to both of these uh, in my time as being a pastor, to the ignorant and also to the wayward and, and everything in between. And, and I've had deep conversations and I've tried to be gentle as possible and sympathetic as possible. And, and I'm sinful as well. I, I need help in those conversations. But I think I've done some of those very well and some of them turned out nightmarish. But what's interesting to me, and maybe examine yourselves in this, What's interesting to me, when someone comes to you and reveals to you maybe some sin in your life, do you, like some of those I've experienced, point at you and how you bring those things to light? And go, you know what? You shouldn't have said this, and how you said this was wrong, and how you did this was wrong, rather than looking at their sin and repenting. They point back at me for doing this wrong. And I wonder how many times, I know I've done this. I wonder how many times we have done this. Rather than looking at and repenting of our sin, we point at someone else and rebuke them. This is why I believe the Bible calls us continuously, examine yourselves daily that we might not push against the words of God, but rather surrender to them. See, one of the greatest pushbacks of our culture, you could probably guess, think about the greatest pushback in our culture right now, I would say it's most likely sexual sin, outside the church and within the church. See, the idea that God has a plan for marriage, for kids, for sex between one man and one woman, no exceptions, in the confines of marriage. That's what this says. But yet we push back against it in all kinds of different ways. Outside the church and inside the church. We want what we want over what God wants. See, lastly, our text suggests the priest has the disposition towards the ignorant and the wayward because he is aware of his own sin. So he's a character guy, can deal gently with both the ignorant and the wayward, can understand what sin is because he himself is beset with weakness, beset with sin. See, it's much easier to be gentle with another when you are aware of your own depravity, but it's also one of the hardest ways to be gentle because you see the devastation of that sin because you've entered into it. And sometimes you're more harsher with that individual because you've dealt with it personally. See, God's call on our lives in this case is towards gentleness. Recognizing, examining yourself daily, recognizing that I too have fallen in the sin. How now can I be gentle and exhort at the same time and bring that individual, maybe even a family member, that they might surrender and receive Jesus through this? Kent Hughes, um, author, theologian, has a great t uh, line on this. He says, the idea, the ideal high priest so this ideal man knew he was a sinner through and through and thus was equipped to deal gently with his sinful people 
He did not elevate himself above them, but ministered with sympathetic grace as a priestly sinner on behalf of other sinners. He then continues saying, conversely, a harsh, judgmental, unsympathetic spirit is a telltale indication that one has outgrown his sense of weakness and awareness of sin. That's so true. So true. We can get harsh with individuals forgetting our depravity. We first must look at our own heart. Jesus said it that way, right? Take the Take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of another's. See, this calling of priesthood is a calling of character. It also, our text suggests that it's an honorable task. And this was a position that was not to be self-appointed, but rather a divine calling by God. So you can find this in Exodus 28, Leviticus 8, and Numbers 16. But like any God-appointed task, man most often found a way to push back against it. And you have the sons of Korah. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that story. It's in Numbers chapter 16. The sons of Korah wanted what Moses wanted. Wanted to do the things that Moses was called to do. And so they wanted to step in and take the reins and they were removed from this earth. You have King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13, not waiting for Samuel. Like if you reread that story in 1 Samuel chapter 13, it's quite an amazing, amazing story. You have a massive army coming against King Saul, and he's freaking out. Everybody's actually hiding in caves and, and leaving and walking away, going, I'm out. I'm not going. Look at this army. And so Saul, because he's freaked out, Samuel wasn't present. And so he took the gifts and the sacrifices and then put them on the altar and did the things that Samuel was called to do, chosen to do, as the appointed high priest. And Samuel shows up right after he finishes. And he said, because you have done this, you will lose your kingdom. And then you have King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, another amazing story. King Uzziah enters into the Holy of Holies and grabs the censer and starts doing the things that the priests were to do. And they all rushed in after him and, and call him, you need to leave, you need to leave. And then all of a sudden, just before their eyes, he breaks out into leprosy. Then they rush him out of the temple and he died a leper. Because of these things, the calling to be the high priest was a position that brought humility. And I'm sure each of the men, including Aaron, would have probably rung in the back of their head, as you can imagine. Why me? Like, are you sure, Lord? Me? What a task to stand before God on behalf of people knowing that they're sinful, knowing that you're sinful, and that you're to give gifts and sacrifices for their sin and for yours to stand before a holy God. What an amazing, amazing calling. See, it's an honorable task to be called to the priesthood of the Lord, and we are beginning to see that we have one that is greater. This is the reason this author is writing this. 
He's emphasizing the greatness of the high priest. But there's one greater. There's one greater. This one greater has opened up for all who confess and believe upon him for salvation to enter in, to draw near to the throne of grace. Just a few verses before our text, we are called to draw near and approach him. We are called in a chapter or two earlier to enter into his rest. And Jesus, in these candles lit before us this morning, in this season, he is our hope, he is our peace, and he is our joy. See, the question that must be, is there anyone worthy to stand in the presence of a holy God, the earthly priest, if they didn't do specific things to the T, they had these bells wrapped around their garments and they would hear the bells. If they heard the bells dingling and ringing in the Holy of Holies, they knew that the high priest was still alive. But as soon as those bells stopped ringing, they had a rope tied to them and they pull him out of there because he had been struck dead. We have a high priest, the great high priest, the one that has passed through the heavens, the very Son of God that has entered into the Holy of Holies for you and I. This is Jesus. This is verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews chapter 5. Let's read it again. It says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by God who said to him, You are my son. Today I begot you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, the author is subtly showing the lesser and the greater here. The type is Aaron, the priest. The anti-type is Jesus, the greater, the one that fulfills all things. See, Christ is the better priest, one like no one other before him. And because of his eternal character, because he rose from the dead, that there is going to be no other priest Remember last week, Jesus is also our sympathetic great high priest. He is without sin. He is pure. Jesus is fully man and God. Jesus is able to stand for us in our place because he has been made like us. He has passed through the heavens and he invites us to his throne. And he wants to give us grace and mercy and help us in times of need. And Jesus will account for all of us. Jesus, who has defeated death and sin. And today, we have the table of grace. And when you stand before the bread and the juice, you are standing essentially before a symbol that symbols his broken body for you, his shed blood for you, as that sacrifice that so many before us had to take a lamb and sacrifice it. Here we stand before Jesus' broken body and, his, and the, the Jews representing his blood as a symbol of what he has done for you eternally. It's such good news. This is the grace, this, the table of grace as we come before him and celebrate. Jesus has fulfilled every category that the high priest of man was to fulfill. He fulfilled and was greater in character than every one of them. 
Jesus is and remains fully pure for all time. He acted on behalf of you and I. He interceded with his own life 2,000 years ago. He offered himself as the eternal sacrifice and gift for our past, present, and future sin. He provided the perfect example of character, showing mercy to the ignorant and the wayward, and he fulfilled the honorable task he was called to by God the Father. We see, saw that in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He is the faithful priest. Church, Jesus is the great high priest. He has paid for your sin. And in this season of Christmas, we are to remember and have hope and have joy and have peace in him. And next week, we light the candle of love, re re remembering his love for you, that he came to this earth to, that he created, that he knew every single one of you before time existed that you would maybe sit here right now in church and on December 17, 2023 and hear that Jesus loves you. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Maybe you're here for the first time hearing that message. And maybe you've got some sin in your life and you want to confess that sin to a holy God and he is gracious and merciful to you to forgive you that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness on the work that he did on the cross. And he wants you to surrender to him today because you have no idea what tomorrow brings. No idea. So may we surrender to him as a people, whether you're not yet a believer or if you are a believer, that you would set aside the sin of this land and believe upon Jesus for your salvation. This last little verse here, you are a priest at forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hold on to that one. We'll hit that one in chapter 7. All right, we're going to talk a lot about this Melchizedek. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you again as our great high priest, the one who has passed through the heavens, the one who is the Son of God, the very ex and the exact imprint of all his character and his nature. And Jesus, you took this this sacrifice upon yourself that we might be saved if we confess you as our Lord and stop believing and having faith in our strength and our power but have strength have, have faith in, in your strength and in your power and so I, I thank you Jesus for this time where we can celebrate through song that we can celebrate through the action of communion and in this table of grace and then we can celebrate with one another that Jesus you are our Lord and our Savior and we proclaim you as our great high priest that has gone before us to pay the penalty that we deserve that we might have freedom in you and rest in you and comfort in you and salvation in you and redemption in you Lord you're, you are amazing and I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.